0: We want to thank you for listening to audio from The Hill Church. We exist to glorify God by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives together. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry or donate online, please visit us at thehillsd.org. Good morning again, church. If you want to take a copy of God's Word, you can open it or scroll to it. Uh, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, you know, fear fear is a powerful thing which is expressed in differing ways. As far back as I remember in my home, it's been the, the task of my two boys to handle the trash and the recycling. It's always been that way. And it's a pretty simple task, though we moved into a a townhome complex where we shared a, a trash unit, and it was about 300 yards away from our 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 house, and it uh, so it made it a little difficult for him in one sense. And what I started noticing was my my son he he wanted me to start walking with him to the trash, which I thought was great. I enjoyed the time he wanted to spend with his dad. We got to have good Conversations and you know, dad always loves those. But I started to notice a pattern which was that he would ask me to do that only when it was evening and only when his other brother wasn't going to take the recycling. What I noticed was that my son's desire for me to be with him was not driven by a, a desire to just spend time with dad, it was driven by a desire of a fear of the dark. And which was fine is a good thing. But it was just been a joke in our house for many years. Fear can cause us to do differing things. Fear is a a powerful force. And you can consider maybe what causes you to fear. Maybe think of spiders or or snakes or tight spaces or, or heights. We've all seen the guy who's, you know, macho until he gets to the edge of the bungee jump. And he's trying to pump himself up back and forth over and over again. He just can't do it. Fear plays an authoritative role in all of our lives. But fear goes much further than childhood concerns and simple phobias. In fact, what you and I often fear the most is in fact in this room this morning. It's actually all around you. It's the person sitting to your left and to your right this morning. While we may not all struggle with the same phobias, we all struggle with the fear of man, fearing people. One author says, fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. And fear of man includes being everything from being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by a person, worshipping other people, putting your trust in people, or simply needing people, often to approve of us and affirm us. And while there may be a a lot of fears and a lot of ways our fears express themselves, there is only one way to conquer fear. We can only conquer fear by replacing it with a greater fear. This is what we see in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6, the word fear, frighten, or afraid shows up four times in our text. What we find in our text is that the the enemies of God, we find them really putting on a, a full court press against Nehemiah. But they really have one single aim in mind. They seek to frighten him. They aim to incite fear in Nehemiah and really divert his attention from the mission of building this wall. But we're going to see Nehemiah perseveres in the work. And he's actually going to lead the people this morning to lay the final brick in the wall. But to do so, Nehemiah has to overcome his fears. And he's going to do so by exchanging them for a greater fear, a fear of the Lord. So I want to give you a main idea this morning as we are continuing to think about this idea of laboring for the glory of God from the book of Nehemiah. And here it is. That perseverance in the work of God demands us fearing God supremely and pressing on faithfully. Perseverance in the work of God demands us fearing God supremely and pressing on faithfully. For three chapters now, Nehemiah has been confronted with opposition. As he attempts to, to, lead the, to lead God's people in rebuilding the wall. We've seen external opposition in chapter 4. And we'll see it again this morning in chapter 6. And we saw internal opposition last week amongst the people of God as they were divided. One author Points out how Nehemiah's narrative of opposition to the building of the wall should be understood in terms of Satan's hidden hand of hatred to the work of God. Nehemiah is very aware he is not just building a wall. He knows he's engaged in a battle. And this, and his perseverance is essential. And Nehemiah this morning is gonna, he's going to fear God over the schemes of man, the opinions of man, and the ambitions of man. There's three aspects I want us to take note of this morning. As we talk about fear in our life, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. and How we overcome the fears of our life by fearing the Lord. I want us to think about three aspects of the Lord we see in this text that will help us fear Him. All right? Three aspects of the Lord. So first we see how Nehemiah, we see something of fearing God's gracious call. Though absent the last few weeks, our three stooges returned this morning. Sembalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab. And they come, they return this morning to really turn up the heat of opposition. Their goal is to strike fear in the heart of Nehemiah. And we learn why in verse 1. Look at it. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arad and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to this time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Word has gotten out that this wall is nearly finished. In fact, all that's left is the hanging of the doors. In construction terms, the punch-out guys are coming in. What seemed impossible just a few months ago is actually almost complete. And these guys can't stand for it. They must s- step up their game in order to prevent this from coming to completion. So they begin scheming. Verse 2. Sembala and Geshem sent to me saying, uh, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirum in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. And using their political power, they try and persuade Nehemiah to pause his work and meet them on the plains of Oh No. But Nehemiah stands his ground. You know it's coming, right? And he says, Oh No. Their schemes won't work. Nehemiah sees straight through them. Now we know Nehemiah to be a man of urgency, right? He's a man of urgency, a man of passion, a man of persistence in laboring for God. We've seen that. He's a man on a mission. With that said, I I think we need to be careful here. We don't confuse his, his drivenness for thoughtlessness. Right, Nehemiah is a man of prayer, discernment, and wisdom. How easy it is. How easy it would have been for Nehemiah to have been diverted here. Right? There's plenty of people who could carry on the work. It's almost done. Maybe this could benefit our city in some sort once we get it up going. I mean, These guys are powerful political guys. No, Nehemiah was a discerning and wise man of prayer and persistence. And all of this arose from, I think, the certainty of Nehemiah's call upon his life. These guys are persistent in their schemes. We see that, right? They, they Four times they ask him. But they're in no way as persistent as Nehemiah towards God's call upon his life. Verse 3, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I think his language here is very important. Of course, geographically, it's accurate. He would have to go down to the plains of Ono to meet them. But in light of the magnitude of God's call upon his life to lead the people in rebuilding this wall, remember, Nehemiah has a holy concern. To stop his work here would be to come down from his call. And he knew this would be less than what God wanted for his life. The fear which these guys are trying to spark in Nehemiah through this pressure is no match for Nehemiah's fear of God's call upon his life. How about you? How about us as a church? Do you, do we fear God's call upon our lives? What I mean by that is, do do you understand the the magnitude of the call God has placed upon your life if you are a believer in Christ? You're part of the, the church of Jesus Christ. We know God has specific callings for individual people. We know that. Not all of us are missionaries that go overseas. Not all of us are preachers of God's Word. Not all of us are called to lead the people to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. There's particular callings. We know that. But every particular call arises out of a general call that each of us as believers share in Christ. This is no small matter. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased us with His own blood. He called us to Himself. And yes, while we responded in repentance and faith, we have to do that. We must do this. The origin of this call is not in and of ourselves. It's not our own doing. There was nothing in you which caused God to say, maybe this would be a good fit. Maybe I should save him or her. Do we consider enough the magnitude of God's call upon our life unto salvation? I want you to reflect for a minute if you're a believer this morning. Just do a little exercise with me. I want you to consider that thing in your past you want no one to know about. That thing in your past you would be terrified for everyone in this room to know about. And then consider the fact that He fully knows you. And He called you in His grace and in His mercy. To himself, he purchased you, and he did so with a, a glorious purpose in mind, which is way beyond ourself. First Peter two nine says, "But you are a royal, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He has called us to be a holy, set-apart people in order to proclaim the excellencies of Him in this world. Perseverance demands us fearing the magnitude of His call upon our lives. We must live with discernment. We must not be distracted by the schemes of this world which are always trying to strike fear in our hearts. We must understand the magnitude of our call to be such that we cannot, we will not come down. We will not bring ourselves down to these distractions. Perseverance demands it. But Nehemiah's call is further tested in verses 5-9. through nine. These guys won't give up. When Nehemiah stood strong against their schemes, he will now have to deal with something much more difficult. Something much more powerful. He's going to be confronted with the opinions of man. Verse 5, In the same way Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, in in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And Now the king will hear of these reports and now come and take counsel together. They now move from scheming to spreading false rumors of Nehemiah to damage the work. Basically, they're saying that Nehemiah's ambition is not to just build a city, but a power grab. He just wants to be king. This is a sly, conniving, powerful tactic aimed at frightening Nehemiah through the opinions of man. This tactic, I think, carries much more weight in diverting Nehemiah's course of action than any army ever could. This tactic is far too successful in our own lives. We all care far too much about what people think of us. We tend to build our identity and sense of self-worth based upon the opinions of other people. We call it peer pressure when we're younger as if somehow we grow out of it as we become adults. But nothing could be further from the truth. I think one of the number one ways the enemy distracts us from living out his call in our lives is by getting us to live for the opinions of others. What do I mean? You find yourself overcommitting to things. You just can't say no. Do you need your spouse to listen to you? Do you need your spouse to respect you? Is your self-esteem a critical concern for you? Do you revere the opinion of, of the opinion of people and use them as a source of well-being and identity? Do you often find yourself second-guessing decisions because of what people may think of you? Are you terrified by failure? Scared by succeeding? Afraid of people knowing your real struggles. You spend your time trying to create an exterior crust. Maybe through the way you talk, the way you dress, the things you do or don't do. To hide your real self. You find yourself telling those, we call them white lies. Exaggerated retellings of stories to make a point. You tend to be jealous of other people. Look, if we're honest, I'm laying my heart honest before you. Our actions are typically driven by the fear of man and the Lord. It shows up in favoritism. We really want others to think well of us, please. Fear fear of being exposed by them or being overwhelmed by their perceived physical power. It's expressed through quiet shyness and violent outbursts. The person who's scared to talk and the one who won't shut up often is driven by the same fear. The small, squeamish guy and the bodybuilder both struggle with the opinions of man and the fear of man. We all struggle with making people God in our lives. How do we deal with this? What did Nehemiah do? The first thing he did was he looked his fear in the face. Nehemiah understands, this is important. Nehemiah understands the the bonds of our fears are broken at the fount of God's grace. Verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. They all want to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. The bonds of fear are broken at the fount of God's grace. Nehemiah prays as he does throughout this entire book. Look at what he prays. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah cast himself upon the grace of God here. He prays, strengthen me, not change my situation. He prayed not for God to remove these attempts to frighten him, but to strengthen him in the midst of them by his grace. In other words, he prays that God would replace his fear of man with the even greater fear of the Lord. It was grace taught Nehemiah to fear. Isn't that what the great hymn says? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Grace teaches our hearts to fear. It's the, the grace of God. God freely acting on our behalf in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which should arrest our souls and break our bonds of the fear of man. We gaze upon God's gracious call upon our life in Christ. It's then and only then the fear of man can be broken. God must be big for people to remain small. He feared God's gracious call, but he also Fears God's great name. We see this in verses 10 through 12. Just when it seemed it couldn't get any worse, the heat is turned up further. Verse 10 Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of. I'm messing up my rule, ain't I? Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us. Meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you by night. My rule with the guys I meet together and read the Bible with is confidence and quickness is how you read those names in the Bible. And, Cause no one knows how to pronounce them anyway. When you hesitate, that's when you just go, just blow through it. Everyone's just, that's gotta be how it sounds. But Nehemiah is again, his response in verse 11 is priceless. But I said, should, should such a man as I run away? And what man should such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Here's what, here's what Tobiah and Sanballat are sure about Nehemiah. He'll obey the voice of God. They know that. So they hire a false prophet to try and lure Nehemiah to to believe God is speaking. Nehemiah is probably already a prophet of some sort, or else Nehemiah probably wouldn't enter his home this way. And this guy instructs Nehemiah to enter the temple with him because his life is in danger. But this is a problem. For one, there's still work to be done. Nehemiah is almost finished. What would it look like for Nehemiah to now run in the face of danger when the people have been risking their lives building the wall every step of the way? Right, we remember they had a sword on one side and a hammer on the other. And now their leader is going to run away? This would surely discredit him as a leader. But secondly and most importantly, Nehemiah is not the priest. He would be. It would be sin for him to enter the temple in this manner. Nehemiah exudes a beautiful balance of boldness and humility here. He's bold and courageous. Who am I to run for safety? And Yet he's humble. Who am I to enter the temple of the living God? Nehemiah discerns the fraud behind this guy's message due to the fact that it contradicts the Word of God. This is how you always discern a false teacher or a vain prophet. Nehemiah is anchored in the truth of God's word, so he easily spots this fake. There are a lot of prophets today. Wise sages and preachers peddling all sorts of messages. We must know what the word of God says. For any man to speak on behalf of God, he must be speaking from the word of God. If not, we should not listen. Nehemiah knew that. Get Nehemiah's response in verse 13. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Nehemiah knew these guys were simply trying to frighten him into sinning in order to discredit him as a leader. To threaten the mission and thwart the name of God. But Nehemiah... He fears sinning more than he fears dying. He feared the name of God above all else. Go to the temple. They're coming to kill you. Nehemiah says, I can't go in. When we think about the, the fear of God. And the fear of God operates in two distinct but essential ways in our Christian life as it helps us battle sin. We've already mentioned one. God's grace compels us, draws us to fear the Lord, to love Him, to revere Him and desire Him above all else because of the richness of His grace towards us in Jesus Christ. We fear... The nearness of God in His grace towards us in Christ. What a marvelous reality. God has come near to us. Sinners, wretched sinners in Christ. But we must also fear the distance of God towards us in our sin. God is not like us. God is holy and righteous. And His righteousness burns hot towards our sin. To fear the name of God is to fear the fullness of His person. We cripple our power to battle sin when we attempt to view God's grace apart from His holy hatred towards sin. God is both just and the justifier. And this is how he has revealed himself to us in the Bible. Exodus 34, God reveals himself. Verses 6 through 7 the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will not, by no means, clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The God of the Bible is as full of grace and mercy as he is full of holiness and judgment. We must maintain a proper fear of God's otherness. He's not like us. We must maintain a fear of His greatness and His majesty, His holiness and His righteousness. And yes, His anger towards sin. We must never allow the nearness of God in His grace towards us in Jesus Christ to allow us to belittle His distinction from us. This is a strong word. His disdain towards our sin. Nehemiah would rather die than sin. Why? He feared the name of God above all else. And brothers and sisters, how in the world do we reconcile these two realities? How can God be both just, holy, righteous, angry towards sin, wrathful, promising He's going to pour out His judgment upon sin, But yet merciful, loving, forgiveness, kind, tender. How? In the cross of Christ, that's how. God would send His Son. By an act of His sheer grace and mercy. And that His Son would live a holy, righteous life. Upholding and defending the the just name of His Father every step of His life, unlike me and you. But then He would take upon Himself the full measure of the wrath and hatred of God towards sin upon Himself for you and me. As Joe said, He bore our sins in His body upon the tree. the justice of God and the grace and mercy of God kiss at the cross. God takes upon Himself what we deserve. Nailing it to the cross. Dying on our behalf. Rising again, demonstrating that He has the power over sin, over death. And He offers us free offer of grace for all who would accept Him as their Lord and Savior. We repent and we believe and we trust in Him. Jesus upholds the fullness of God's person. His justice and His grace on our behalf. So We fear God's great name. Lastly, we fear God's sovereign, faithful hand here. I don't know how else really to put it. Amaya, at this point, he's he's prayed, he's planned, and he's persevered in the face of opposition to accomplish the building of the wall. And I'm sure this was a, a thrilling moment. Look at the summary in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. In the face of overwhelming opposition, these ordinary people have completed this great task in less than two months. No dump trucks, no excavators, no backhoes. Just God's people committed to God's mission. They had witnessed God work His great power in them. And they they weren't the only ones who took notice. Look at verse 16. And when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Fear did play a major factor in the building of this wall. But not in distracting the people of God. Fear fell upon the enemies of God. The very ones trying so hard to incite fear are now frozen by it. And why? They knew that God had done this. God's mighty hand was behind the building of this wall, not just Nehemiah's. This work had been accomplished with the help of God, not just Nehemiah, just as he had promised. What began with Prayer and fasting in the capital of Susa has now come about in Jerusalem. And what have we learned since chapter 1? Well, about laboring. Well, we learned that prayer is essential. We learned that opposition is inevitable. We learned that the sacrifice of all the people is inescapable. We learned that teamwork is really unavoidable. We learn here that God is forever faithful. God did this. Nehemiah was to gather everyone together and sing a hymn, it would probably be great as thy faithfulness. We're going to live for Christ. We're going to labor as the people of God for the glory of God. We better expect opposition. Opposition. If we don't, we're foolish and we're reading our Bible with our eyes closed. And there will be many things to fear. Many reasons to be scared, discouraged, and distracted. But to persevere in the work and to press on faithfully, we must rest in the faithfulness of God. We must fear God's sovereign, faithful hand. Nehemiah knew this good hand of God was upon me, he says, over and over again. And then when the wall is built, he said God did that. He feared the faithfulness of his God above every taunt of failure, every false rumor spread against him, against every threat upon his name and his life. He feared God's sovereign, faithful hand. The wall is built. Final bricks lay. The doors hung. But the work still is not over because the opposition continues. Verse 17, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in, the, in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law. Shechaniah, the son of Arai, and whose son Jehoanah, had taken the daughter Meshuliam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Here it is again. Tobiah is still at work. He's using alliances he has made through trade agreements and marriage alliances to try and strike fear in the heart of Nehemiah. Here's what I want us to see as we continue on, we press on in our study of Nehemiah, we begin to see something very important here as we move forward. The building of the wall is not the end of Nehemiah's work, or really even the main work. The rebuilding of God's people is the far greater work in Nehemiah. And it's the far greater work in the entire Bible. And it's God's sovereign, faithful hand who brings it about. Though painful, God will preserve His people in the book of Nehemiah. It's going to get really painful in the last couple of chapters. But God will preserve His people in this book. So that He can bring about the person of His Son. It's within this very city, Jerusalem following the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that He will arise, that He will ascend into heaven, that He will send His Spirit to establish His church, to advance His mission in this world. And just as Nehemiah, we must confess, there are a myriad of fears within our hearts which try and divert us from living faithfully for our God, living faithfully as we labor for Him. we also tend to make people God in our lives. Here's what I want us to see. There's no safer place. There's no fearless place. More than resting in the arms of our sovereign, faithful God. So, how do we conquer our fears? We gaze upon God. We rehearse who God is for us in Christ. And it's then that true transformation can take place. Like I'm not I'm not talking about it's not a I'm not talking about a, a detached thought experience. I'm not talking about some philosophical speculation. What we believe about God is. Can bring life to us today. What we believe to be true about our God can set us free from the fears of people. What we believe about God will cause us to persevere and live faithfully for Christ. God must be supreme. We must fear his gracious call. We fear his great name. And we fear his sovereign, faithful hand. All the fears which tend to bind us. We now have the power to shatter them. If you're not a believer this morning or you're wrestling through that reality, I want you to look upon Christ this morning. I want you to at least be honest to the fact that you're not God. And God is other than you. And you are a sinner. And I want you to think about who is Christ. That He's the one who would come and live a life that you could not live and die a death that you deserved. To offer you what no one else can offer you. Freedom. From the bonds of sin. Forgiveness in Him. And eternal life. If you want that this morning. It's available to you in Christ. You'll simply cry out to Him. Confess your sins to Him. and Believe. the Lord Jesus, what He has done for you on the cross. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior. But if us who are Christians this morning, we're going to sing a song in a moment from really Psalm 46. I think what's powerful about Psalm 46 is not just who God is. But He's the one who's with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. We're going to sing. In the battle. He's with us in the dark moments. He's with us in those places where we tend to be fearful. Fear. He's there. Our fears are not conquered by running from everything. Our fears are conquered by embracing Him for who He is and what He's done for us. So I'm going to pray. We're going to transition to sing the song. And service is over. I'm always here to pray with anyone. If you want to know more about what it looks like to know Christ and follow Him as a believer, come, I'll be here. If you want to pray today? Anyone in the room, I'm here. But I want you to reflect, take a moment, we're going to pause, and then we're going to sing this song. Father in Heaven you are our refuge and strength. You are a very present help in trouble lord i as we as we walk this life as a christian we I know in my own heart I I tend to look at troubles and fears and things in my life and I I put a lot of attention on them. I want them to go away and this to change and that to change. Lord, I, I think we often don't do what the Bible calls us to, which is to look to you, our present help to recognize who you are in the midst of our troubles, because through the midst of our troubles, through the midst of our fears, through the midst of our struggles, when we find you in them is when we find the riches of who you are. So I pray this morning for us we think about our individual walks with Jesus and our life together as a body. Lord, you would help us see you for who you are. Fear you. to understand and have a real perspective of life. Lord, for anyone in this room who doesn't know You, Lord, may not the opinions of man, the fears of man, draw them away from coming to You this morning. May their hearts be honest towards You this morning and may they fear You and respond to You as You call them. Lord, we... Love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.